0: Feral Audio
1: In the late 1980s, college radio was flirting with becoming mainstream. The dulcet sounds of R.E.M. leapt forth from the Athens underground and along with other earnest artists began to pockmark our radio dial. Music started going from Millie Vanilli to Michael Stipe, and it's like replacing Lou Diamond Phillips with Edward James Olmos. It's not just another pretty face. The <laughs> oh, me- shut up. Park, shut, up. shut up. Shut up. The music had feeling and thoughtfulness and heart. Kids in the art wing of your high school started to take notice. As things started getting more and more out of the conventional norm, The all, the catch-all term alternative was created. It was an attempt to separate this music from its more corporate older siblings. Alternative bins started showing up in the separate uh, the music stores, and the alternative became a delineation on the Billboard charts. And as it grew in popularity, it ironically became the very mainstream from which it once attempted to remove itself.
2: Okay, so you're saying this is alternative music was a reaction to Milli Vanilli? It was an alternative to Milli Vanilli? No. Oh,
1: okay. No, I'm saying
3: Millie Vanilli was on the charge. Yeah,
1: you're
4: say, saying. I'm using Millie Vanilli the mainstream as shifted mainstream. Sure, ah, It's focused. Okay. Wait, so, so you want to talk about our alternative, but you told me that this is like. This is going to be about talking songs. So I prepared like a whole thing, like talking. It's been around since the beginning of time. You know, blah, blah, blah. And then in conclusion, talking in music is an exercise in contrast. It was a great essay, but you seem determined. To talk about alternative music instead. Well, you stopped
1: me. I was—I only read the first half of it. Oh, the other part is where they talk instead of sing. Oh, dear listeners, I bring you Beyond Yacht Rock, episode eighty-four. Talk alternative. Beyond yacht
4: rock. This is a Beyond Yacht Rock podcast. We make up new musical genres every week. Count down the top hits in that genre from ten to one. My name is J.D. Riznar. Hollywood Steve. Dave. Hunter. And because we invented the term Yacht Rock with our web show of the same name, we like to throw a bone to you Yacht Rock fans all over the country. My nose, My nose blocked up just as I said yacht. Fuck me up. It's the uh, the Midwestern
1: pronunciation. You gotta... <laughs> it's a little yeah. snot ball. Yeah, you gotta close uh, the top of your throat, back of your nose. Your sinuses just sort of shut down. Yeah.
2: Woo! Uh, so, Hunter, what is this song called? Well, I'll tell you in a minute. Uh, I've been listening to a lot of Michael Jackson lately, and I'm gonna be honest, he doesn't get the credit he deserves for being a Yacht Rock stalwart. Uh, when J.D. and I were on the Kamineski podcast not too long ago, they asked us a very sports radio question. "Who's on? Hey, who's on your Mount Rushmore of Yacht Rock? <laughs> 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 well, no, that's a morning zoo yeah. question.
3: No. Um, well, um, sports hit- radio is more like Around the Horn on ESPN where everybody yells at each other, Come on, take a stand! Uh, yeah, it's it's a hard
2: question. Uh, I don't think we could really answer it very well. Come
3: on, take a stand.
2: I mean, there's Michael McDonald, there's Toto, maybe Loggins. I'd have to say Loggins. And how about Christopher Cross? I think that's kind of what we settled with. Mm. But you know, you know who else deserves to be in the conversation? Abe Lincoln. Yes, Michael Jackson. Yeah. We've discussed Thriller before and how uh, Quincy and Toto pushed him onto the boat. But really. I think the C is in his blood And and, and, and by by proxy His family's Mm -hmm. blood So what, you'd put Michael ahead of Quincy I, I think so Yeah I think so Because while Quincy was a good producer Yeah um, listen to
3: Quincy's stuff. And he's he's sort of the Coco Goldstein of yacht soul.
4: Not really, because this is pre-Quincy. Quincy had nothing to do with this album, which was before the Quincy Jones started to adopt this sound.
2: Yeah. So this this is this is give it up by the Jacksons. And you know what, uh, Steve? In the original yacht rock series, I I wanted to, I pitched Quincy Jones to be the new Coco. That's what I want you. I think that I think that's a good analogy. Yeah, if anything. Cocoa was real.
1: Anything to get me out of the episode. I get it. You were already dead. Oh, we were gonna get you in there somehow. <laughs> Make me
2: a parrot head again, you fucker. Uh, <laughs> this, so this is given up by the uh, the Jacksons off of their 1980 album Triumph. Um, you no know, real hits on this. Kind of filler uh, between "Off the Wall" and "Thriller." Uh, as Michael Jackson was always, you know, he was always willing to throw the family a, a hit album bone, Yeah. Uh, this this making it all the way to number 10. But nevertheless, uh, listen to the precision Michael and, and the boys have on this one.
4: I gotta say, the Jacksons, man, after they dropped the five, they've made some really underrated stuff that nobody talks about too much, and it's really great. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's the sort of thing, though,
1: like, the Jacksons could release whatever they wanted, but while Michael Jackson is the king of fucking pop... No one's going to pay attention to it. It's like all those really great uh, New Power Generation
3: albums. You guys heard them? Mm-hmm. But Michael
4: Jackson is involved in this, this Jackson album.
3: He's involved so people in are going to pay much more attention than they would otherwise. And that's why it's so good.
1: Well, Prince would do. Um, he'd drop in and do songs on... Uh, doesn't matter. You know what I'm saying. Yeah, I know what you're saying. Cool. Yeah. Cool point. Is. You didn't it's think cool.
4: Michael Jackson was on this song, did you?
1: No, I knew he was on the How song. Fair? But I don't think he was on every song on the album. I think he just kind of
2: i think on this one he was i know he was on this one because you wrote it no not not it. not this song i mean this album oh i think he was pretty much on this, this this album um i mean this was so off the wall 79 this is 80 um and then he has two more years of work on thriller. before thriller so I, I think he was he was on, he was on pretty much all of this one he was
4: taking control of this
2: one yeah um so it's uh, this is pure yacht rock with a few a few extra spices that MJ uh, like to throw in there. Um, you got David Williams and Michael Sambello uh, with a little Tito on guitar. Um, oh, gotta love Tito! And they all do a great job pulling the song together, um, along with those keys. What, what were you uh, I was say? gonna
4: say that Michael Sambello is the one that he his name made me develop my Quincy Jones impression because I heard a Quincy Jones interview where Quincy was like. Michael called me up and said, "You got to bring out Michael Cimbello, man. He's awesome." That's how it started. Cimbello. Did you just refer to your uh, your impression as developed? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Okay. Ah. In, in that, there was one day I never had done it, and then another day I'd done it. Yeah. That's the development. You know, fascinating. You know, Rashida. Sorry. You guys good? I'm good. Yeah. You right. go ahead and read your fun facts so about Michael my Sambello. Michael Sambello is on this. Michael Sambello is awesome. You're going to get some more
2: Michael Sambello in this show. Yeah. Um, and then Tito's on guitar. He probably is, the, is not as good as gotta Sambello love, or, or, love Tito. or David Williams. Gotta bring
4: in Sambello to overdub Tito.
2: And uh, and then uh, also those keys. I think that's I
4: believe that's Greg Fillingeans on there. Uh, Greg games is the best man. You bring him in, he can play anything, man.
2: He's no Tito. Also, also we got uh, Gary Coleman on the vibes.
4: Oh, I yeah. I think
2: we've made fun of that name enough to have him remembered.
4: Mm-hmm. Uh, well, hey, he's like the different strokes guy, you know. <laughs> but white and tall. Yeah. Did I'll Tito just
2: play guitar, or did uh, he play keys as well on this song? Yeah. Or in general. In general. I'm sure they all had a little... They dabbled in the keys a little yeah, bit. Tickle, they, tickle and Tito? Yeah, I'm sure they all did. They were a well-trained musical family. Yeah. You
4: um, know, I, I show Rashida at different strokes, and I say the difference between this and our life, Rashida, is I get to have sex with a white person at my house. You Peggy, your mother, Peggy, lifted in Rashida. Okay, um... You see, <laughs> also uh, Garrett Palina Coleman is Pal- not allowed to have sex with Mrs. Drummond, Rashida. or or Mrs. Garrett.
2: <laughs> also, Polino is on percussion on this, or Dana Plateau.
0: <sighs> Sorry, <laughs> she's, she's plateau? dead. Plateau, Sorry.
2: she did plateau on that show. Plato? is that was that it? Anyway,
4: she's dead. She, I think she did some porn. I'm sorry, uh, uh, Hunter. I'm sorry, in row. Hunter was talking about uh, Pauline Hall, who's a man. Yeah. I feel like I saw her elbow deep in another woman on the internet once. All right, that's enough. Rashida's listening.
2: Uh, so uh, Ma- Michael and Randy Jackson they wrote this. Um, I know Marlon Jackson was on lead vocals, but I definitely hear uh, MJ on there too. Uh, The couple of non-traditional twists on this song are those vibes that I mentioned. The strings by Jerry Peters, who worked with Lee Rittenhauer, Q and and, uh, Boz, to name a few. Uh, And at the end, uh, there's like a military march on drums. It's weird. It's weird to hear that in a Yacht Rock song. Kind of comes out of nowhere, but it's great. That's Ali Brown, and he was the—he was in Radio.
4: He was a drummer for Radio for a little while. A very yachty band, Ray Parker Jr.'s band. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. This is like a special like, it's yacht rock with a little. It is like a with a little spice. It's richer. It's richer than a usual yacht rock song. There's more interesting things going on, but it's got. Listen to this groove. It's perfect. So, it's... <laughs>
2: Michael, you know how we always say that things need to, like a twist and turn in it. Like mm-hmm. Yacht rock needs, to, it needs not everything has it, but but to make it a really great yacht Rock song, it needs it needs kind of zig when you expect it to zag. Uh, Chucks when you wanted it to jive. Mm. Wiggles when you want to pump. Hey, I was, but I was gonna say, why, Michael Jackson was great at that. Going back to the uh, the Mount Rushmore thing. Watch the watch the documentary of We Are the World. Yeah. Well, he where he just comes in and goes. I just I want to do this. We need to do this. Yeah. And he just kind of changes everything. And and I've been reading about Thriller about how he he like demanded to get uh, like the guitar solo at the front of Beat It. Mm-hmm. He he and Quincy was like no
3: no no you're up. With this. What, what was Quincy like?
4: Hey, no, Michael, uh, a guitar solo at the beginning of the song, man, that's crazy. Listen, I've been producing albums for 20 years now, and it's only 1981. That's yeah. a long time, man. You gotta listen to me. I'm Quincy Joe.
2: And Michael said, no, this, we gotta do it this way. This is why I want it. It's, it's gotta be different. It's gotta, it's, gotta, it's, gotta, it's gotta zig when I want it to zag, or when people expect it to zag. Chuck when you want it to jive.
4: Chuck. Not Chuck. I want to Yatsky this song because I want it on the playlist. Do we, do we normally Yachtski the bone throws?
1: Not always, once sometimes. in a while. 83. Yeah, that's. I'd go higher than that. It's 85.
2: Yeah, I'd give it an 86. No. I'd, I'd give me. it an 87. Me,
4: Fuck me, you. I'm giving it an 87. Me, me, for me. Mocking me. 78. All right, somewhere in the 80s. It's a Yacht Rock song. All right. Are you ready to talk about. What is this? Talk Turnative? Talk Turnative, or Alternative Talk. No, that's a
1: different genre. Talkative. <laughs>
3: I'll turn talkative. That was the best one. Yeah, we'll figure. You should, out you should have gone with that one, Dave. Yeah. We'll
2: figure out what it is by the end of this episode. Yeah,
1: well, you can read it on the the title and then click on it a bunch. Uh, so we all know what alternative is, even though it's much more of a vague term Than I was ever ever comfortable with. Um, when you put these, uh, what what am I talking about here? You're talking about turnative. Yeah, there you go. personally, oh. um, feel like. Yeah, sorry. I got all off base there. Personally, I feel like alternative should be uh, kind of music that's really difficult to classify, like Mr. Bungle or Primus, but when you, you put these shows together, you, you want a term that's going to let your audience know what they're getting at a quick glance. Otherwise, you end up trying to force a name that doesn't make a lot of sense to the other guys on your podcast, let alone the listening audience. Also, the other guys on your podcast and the listeners and most people seem to settle on the first joke pitch, so...
3: Seem to they seem to really like portmanteaus. Wait, wait,
2: who are you shitting on right now? So
3: here we are with Talk <laughs> I mean, It's a really good thing I didn't take the first few suggestions from my last episode then. Oh, because yeah, I'm trying because to It, it out wasn't the first few. It wasn't the first joke pitched. It wasn't a portmanteau. And uh, I think, yeah, like song puddings is very evocative of what the sh- what the audience no, is going to be
1: getting. British evasion was such a better title
4: for that.
3: Song but puddings is great. So yeah. I, uh, it's very evocative.
1: Um, it evokes a a, a a cup of pudding.
4: Yeah, yeah. Which, an English br- British pudding. See, okay, see how, so a piece of bread. You see how stupid you think a thing of pudding is? Uh, somebody in Britain is like, what are you talking about? That sounds but great, I'm man. Doing. Pudding, yeah. Rock and roll and pudding. You it's know, what American, I'm all about.
2: Americans think this sound great until they see the yeah. English version and then they don't know what it is. Yeah. I, I just want to say that I'm pretty sure, wasn't Alternative basically developed because the, term because basically it rock meant stations had become well no it wasn't just that it was just that it was like classic rock stations so they needed another name for rock that wasn't classic rock well so. at,
3: fir- at first they kind of called it college rock because it only got played on college radio but then as it broadened beyond that they couldn't localize it quite as much anymore, so I think that's kind of when I like I'd heard it called modern rock too. Modern I'd, rock was mm, a big one. Right? I'd heard uh, like MTV's alternative show before 120 minutes was postmodern MTV, yeah. and that's where I first heard a lot of like the my, that was my first encounter with alternative rock, and at the time I had a, a reaction much like Dave's like like I, I i was expecting to hear stuff like you know like Mr Bungle or Primus sound yeah, like yeah. And, and not your I was, uh, like oh i like i don't get what makes this stuff alternative really yeah it's at like the when time. you're when you're a sophomore uh,
1: Punk rock and biology teacher mrs lorenzik would be like oh what are you listening to alternative you know it was like <laughs> a term old people used to like just yeah although she was probably 10 years younger then than i am now Alright, as popular as alternative music became, the general consensus was that there was just too damn much singing. The Minutemen knew this and released this little jam back in 1984 off their double punk landmark album, Double Nickels on the Dime. For you non-LA folks, that means driving 55 miles per hour on the 10 freeway. Oh, I didn't know that. We it's can't ne- do yeah. it. Yeah, it's nearly I'm a- finally an Angelino today. Yep. It's nearly impossible to do, since after the release of the song, it became one of the most popular and busiest stretches of interstate in the country.
4: To, to,
2: to find that out, to prove Dave, Dave's fact, just look at the album
1: cover. Yep. What I'm saying is if you want to drive fast on the 10, you're going to have to do it late at night or you're going to hit traffic. Let someone, No one writes a song about the 2, J.D., you get what I'm saying.
4: Uh, 2 is actually it's terrible for morning commutes. It backs up to the 134, and then it is just bumper to bumper until the 5. You live on the wrong side of uh, the 2, my friend.
2: Uh, Dave, you also live on the wrong side of the 2.
1: No, I take the two to the one thirty-four. It's great. I mean, the oh, opposite. Oh, I see. P. Okay. Oh, you mean like when I tried to write my name in the snow? Yeah. But I did it with number two. Yeah. Yeah. So the men and men have a special place in my heart, and I'm sure I'll be talking about them on the future episode, So let me talk about their talking. That's D. Boone simply telling the story of why punk is so important to him. It's his Bob Dylan, and the fact that he's talking the lines seems so much more poignant than if he were yelling them. It's used to distinguish, and it works.
4: Hey, since this was released in 84, okay. is it, uh, talk college rock? I think this, uh, really never was college rock. Oh. Minutemen, I don't think ever. Sounds like college rock to me. It sounds like R.E.M. Well, this isn't what most of their uh, music sounds like. This is uh, a lot slower. They than had to they... fill a double album. Well, on. it's like somebody putting a country tune on their album. Putting... Well, the Minutemen uh... were
3: very versatile, though. Yeah, they they were. could do it. That's why they can make uh... a double album. You know and have the theme song
4: good. of uh, Jackass. Yeah, girl, that's the Minutemen. Oh
1: my God. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, While it is early, it sets the tone Sorry, I really shocked J.D. there Non-mainstream artists that are talking through most of their songs That's what we're listening to today Oh, fantastic Uh, Let's go to the next song before Steve tells the horrific car crash that took Dee Boone's life Don't worry, Dave, I'm going to save that for my upcoming episode where I'll talk about the Minutemen I'm very much looking forward to joining that discussion Okay, here's a perfect textbook example Aside from it being a contender for one of the most British songs I've ever fucking heard, here's Blur with Park Life. It's so goddamn British... That the spoken word part is actually done by British actor Phil Daniels, who did not play C-3PO. Right, that was Anthony. Damn straight. But he did play Jimmy Cooper in Quadrophenia.
4: Steve, this is a song Pudding. This reached number 10 on the Brit charts and did not chart in America. It's a terrible name.
3: No, it's a great name. It's very evocative. Folks, a cup of pudding.
4: It, uh, this song
3: also illustrates why there needed to be multiple Puddings episodes. There's too many top quality Puddings out there. Well, listen, I think I still think Two? you could probably do like six. Or seven in a row. Yeah, too many to be, re- be re- arbitrary.
2: <laughs>
1: you, guys to
3: <laughs> you
4: guys yelled at me for wanting to do two of them. I'm into it now. No, just six, seven, eight. Because I, I love the name Song Pudding so much. <laughs> you like it just because it annoys me. <laughs> a little bit. You <laughs> right. just love puddings.
0: Song Puddings. I
4: love British Puddings, too. Give me a can of Spotted Dick, I'll eat the shit out of that. Yeah, well, I'll eat the shit out of some Spotted Dick. Do you hear his fucking bumpers, man? Good God.
3: Uh, I I bet the audience is going to like them, though, if they're familiar with the show, just because you don't get the reference. You kind of... I I get the reference. No, you you
1: don't. No, I just don't like the reference. Pretty goddamn British, if you ask me. not for you. Take a listen. Your shows normally aren't. If you ask... In fact, they're very much for you. No, they're more for the audience. All right. This song, pretty goddamn British, if you ask me, but take a listen. It's exactly what we're looking forward to. The vast majority of these songs are going to have spoken word verses and then a sung chorus. You're going to want to listen to it as we go through them. It's a pretty simple, straightforward genre of alternative songs from the 90s that have spoken word lyrics as opposed to being sung. However, as I was putting this together, I ended up uh, going down a rabbit hole into a few other genres, which is frequently the case. Some of these can be droners, some that I took off the list are straight up listing songs. Hunter was. Uh, you were talking about that liminal space between singing and talking. That may come up today. Like uh, most. Yeah,
2: that's alternative talk.
1: Yeah, <laughs> we'll get there. Uh, but like most of our bullshit, it's actually quite complex and somewhat thought out. That's a great description of what makes our podcast good. Huh. So settle in and start this hot as shit countdown. Let's
3: talk more talk turnative.
1: All right, starting right out of the gate, controversial pick. Ooh, spicy. Yeah, but it helps prove the genre. This is the nails with uh, eighty-eight lines about forty-four women. Now, I know what you're thinking. Hey, Dave, didn't this song come out in 1984? On yeah, their,
4: this, is, uh, this is this is this ta- is to college, Yeah. Yeah, it was on their 84 debut
1: Mood Swing, and even had an earlier version recorded on a 1981 EP called Hotel for Women. Well, of course you're right, you very intelligent listener. That's in. oh. what I was thinking. Oh. However, when this uh, talk alternative fad was sweeping the nation, they decided to try and cash in on their forgotten gem and re released it on their 1993 album, Corpus Christi. Seems pretty obvious to me they were just trying to jump on the talk talkternative bandwagon.
4: It Sounds like a joke, but Talk really was riding the charts back then in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really was. It, it, sweep,
3: it swept the and you Usually you don't sweep the nation unless you're, you're like a brand new sensation. Nor a janitor.
4: <laughs> it did get a
3: little
1: airplay around that time, which is where I first heard it, but nothing compared to its original release, where it peaked at 46 on the US dance charts.
2: Sweeping the nation. <laughs> I can
1: only assume. It was ahead of its time. Yeah. I can only assume that the talk talkative market
4: was oversaturated at the time it's re-released because this is a
1: goddamn jam.
4: I, tell you, I think it's because of all these ladies' names that he's naming. They were popular young ladies like in the '80s, but by the time the '90s hit, like people were like, "I ain't requesting no song that lists old lady names on the radio." That's bullshit. I ain't, I ain't requesting no song about no Barbara. Yeah, Ruth or Rose. Yeah. I, I looked at this, uh,
3: some, of the, some of the women in here are real, some of them are fictional, but apparently uh, the, the lead singer Mark Campbell actually started dating one of the women, he mentioned the song like 30 years after the fact, but it was also like three years after his divorce, he just like got back together with one of them. And I just pulled out the old uh, Rolodex.
4: Somebody get a text?
2: I think Jamie just got a, got, it's got a I message.
4: I gotta turn off uh, Slack. Who's slacking you? Who's people are slacking us? All four of us are. Oh, the other slack.
1: The other Uh, slack. uh, uh, All right, as I was researching this, I brought up the Weezer song, Beverly Hills. Uh, JD, you said it sounded a little more like rap. Uh, Do you think this has rap like tendencies to it, or do you, Hunter, think it's more like in the uh, alternate talk era?
4: I'll tell you something Beverly Hills in that song, Rivers he's clearly sending up hip-hop also it's kind of talk songs so there's yeah, some it's a- alternate talk well, they, well there's also some attempts at like some sort of form of rhyming um, i don't know if that's a, a trait of alternate talk or not but the songs you picked for this genre dave like this one this is just straight up talking
1: yeah uh-huh. that's that's exactly what what i'm trying to do here today uh, a little bit about The Nails. Uh, it was a punk new wave band from Boulder, Colorado. Fun location fact the Morgan Mindy House is still located there at 1619 Pine Street. It's kind of blocked by trees now. Uh, they started as a punk band called The Ravers, but then changed their name to The Nails when they moved to New York City and found out there was already a band called Raver. They played around the usual spots like Max's and CBGB. Uh, they released some singles and EPs, including one with a very early version of this song. Uh, they started in 77, but didn't release their first album until 1984, which tells me there's still hope for Karate the Band, which of course of was created on Valentine's, Valentine's Day in a bar in 2014, Channel while my wife watched me and my friend, uh, show each other our karate outside. She was very impressed.
3: Probably the most fun
1: Congrats, fact... Dave. Thank you. Probably the most fun fact about the Nails is that back when they were the Ravers, they had a young roadie named Eric Boucher. Eric split from the band when they went to New York City after he played in some local bands he went to college at Cal State Santa Cruz, co-founded a local band, he changed his name to Occupant, and then later, Jello Biafra,
2: that band became the Dead
1: Kennedys, and they rolled.
2: Whoa! Yeah, well, blowing your mind again!
1: God, kind we of got cool fans. Yeah. All right, J.D. brought up how Weird Al should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and he's absolutely right. He can seamlessly slip into any genre, and this particular song legitimizes the talk alternative genre. This is the song Albuquerque from his 1999 album... Running With Scissors. Weird originally just meant this to be a song to annoy his fans for 12 minutes, but he ended up being very surprised by how much people were drawn to it. His inspiration came from bands like Mojo Nixon and the Rug Burns, both alternative bands that sometimes talk their verses. Uh, our more astute listeners might be noticing a pattern forming here.
3: Hmm. I, I feel that more bands should be inspired by Mojo Nixon, personally. Yeah, the Dead Milkman actually called them out in uh, Punk Rock yeah, Girl. If you don't got Mojo Nixon, you're storking you some yeah. fixing
4: Um, I agree I kind of got pulled into the story of this song I feel like there's some plot holes though so he wins you're a professional writer I want to hear this. so he wins a trip to Albuquerque and his plane crashes he was the only survivor so he crawled three days in the desert to check into the Albuquerque Holiday Inn where he got in a fight with a one nostril hermaphrodite who stole his lucky snorkel then he got in his car and went to a donut shop uh Weird Al where did the car come from I was pretty sure at that point that he was not telling it true story Yeah,
3: I, I think this is just uh, this happens to come from a time period when a lot of artists including Weird were really taking advantage of the longer running times available on compact discs oh, yeah. yeah this is like a 12 minute song uh, what's so important so about from, this, this song... This
4: is from 1999, Steve. Compact, yeah. this has been around for about 15 years. <laughs> but no, they yeah, this team's taking advantage <laughs> of it. Yeah,
3: they, 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 people have started to expand to like, okay. fill
2: up the
1: yeah, whole CD. They could, they could fit more uh, more information on one disc. Okay.
3: He just realized. Yeah. Oh, hey. Oh, I can, I can play with this medium. No more
1: 36 minutes. We can go 72. Exactly. Uh, what's so important about this song is the fact that Weird Al has been pretty much the sole successful parody song purveyor ever. My apologies to Dr. Demento and Tony Zaret. Keeping, Keep reaching for that gold, Tony. You'll get there. Weird Al's songs have been poignant ever since I can remember hearing Eat It when I was eight. Oh, very poignant. Um, through almost getting kicked out of a live show when I was slam dancing to Smells Like Nirvana at 16. And even up to Word Crimes, a grammatically correct parody of Blurred Lines a few years ago. Uh, his humor shaped my own at an early age, and his parodies are just as relevant today as they ever were. Because
3: we all still eat food. Mm. <laughs> Word Crimes was actually the one I'd been waiting for without even realizing it. So it's, good. It's fantastic. Grammatical na- correctness
1: is ruining America, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> I was lucky enough to meet Weird Al when I snuck backstage at that concert when I was 16. Uh, he signed my ticket stub and my set list, which I had swiped after the encore. It was Yoda. He was one of the nicest people I've ever met. 25 years later, I was lucky enough to be on set with him, and I made it a point to say hello. Once again, he was still one of the nicest goddamn people I'd ever met. He's one of those guys you never hear a negative story about, and he deserves every bit of success and happiness in the world. I can go on about Weird Al. I love him so much. What a guy.
4: You'd probably be sad to hear that his parents were both killed at the same time by with carbon monoxide poisoning in their own home. Uh, I think if that was true, Steve would have said that. No. Uh, I didn't want to bring true. that up. That did happen. It's uh yeah, how, how so, long ago. Like a right. couple years ago. So anyway, Bummer. Yeah. So it doesn't it, pay to be nice. Like, huh. Hey, you can't have
0: that. That's not
4: Number
2: eight.
0: Oof.
4: I love this song. Really? Good song. I always Me thought too. this one was a real I like this turd. Song. <laughs>
1: All right, three 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 against one.
4: Real turd, like after you haven't pooped for a few days, and you sit down, and just like this three-foot log just yeah, like, yeah. flows out of you, no wipes. That's what this song is, if you're going to say it's a turd. Uh,
2: all right, all right, I, I might be wrong on this.
4: It's one it of those where you
2: turn around and you take a picture of it and send it to your buddies because you know, it's
1: such a, such a nice one. just came up uh, a couple days ago uh, with somebody I was talking to. Their grandfather had, had such a turd, they took a photo of it. And it was before digital cameras, and they had to like take it to the store and get it developed. Yeah. yeah. Brought it home, showed the family. There you go. Man. Oh, Grandpa. Some are worth
2: it. Yep. Some are worth it.
1: Uh, all right, this is Liar by Rollins Band. Uh, around 1990, I heard a song called Do It off of an early Rollins Band album and dug the shit out of it. At 92, End of Silence came out, and it was great. In fact, uh, Rollins uh, co-headlined with the Beastie Boys when they were uh, promoting uh, End of Silence and Check Your Head. And the buzz for his next album, at least in my world, was huge. In 1994, I went to the record store to pick up the album Wait. That's uh, W-E-I-G-H-T.
4: That was Steve's job.
1: Sorry. Uh, Dave can
3: do it. I don't care. Yeah, I mean... If as I, long as the audience understands it, it doesn't to, matter just who try does it. Just trying to watch your back,
1: bro. And if, he had, if I had spelled it wrong, or if I had gotten the fact wrong, Steve would have jumped in. I'm, oh, okay. Uh, well, when I found the CD, the case was shaped like a, a weight, so like the so kind of strong. weight you put on a barbell. <laughs> At a gym, I assume <laughs> He's I pumping mean. a
2: lot of iron back there. Yeah,
1: I mean, I, I don't do that, but I've seen a lot of weightlifting movies And, <laughs> and that's what it looked like And that, that wasn't a good sign for me And then I listened to it It was okay, it was kind of forgettable Until I got to track six That was liar <laughs> Good timing It was fucking awful My friends and I laughed about it, and then they made a video which was one of the most ridiculous things I'd ever seen. Just plain old dumb 90s video, and I got a lot of airplay. Then I got nominated for a Grammy for Best Metal Performance. They lost to Spoonman by Soundgarden, but you still got to see Rollins perform this live in a tuxedo with a half shirt. Then VH1 called it the 64th best hard rock song of all time. Just beating Kick Out The Jams by the MC5. I never knew what the attraction was until I saw an interview with Henry stating that they used to perform it live as a joke. It had no real refined structure. They just threw it into the mix as a potential B-side when they were recording. And the label loved it. They made it their lead single, and I realized that I'll never be good at picking songs for the public.
3: This, uh, Beavis, Beavis and Butthead loved this
1: song,
2: or at least they liked the chorus. Yeah, because lyre rhyme with fire. <laughs> oh,
4: yeah, that's right. Fire. Uh, <laughs> fire. Uh, uh, this this
2: nice? is a bit of a grunk on
4: yeah, yeah 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 definitely I find that's a case with a lot of uh, a I'm lot hearing of hearing a lot more grunk out there like yeah, it's feel, spread out of Seattle I feel like a lot of these talk uh songs have that like they talk over like a funky Just like groove. yeah groove. yeah I, I don't em. know why Yeah well, this do, is where he turns yeah, red yeah, yeah. <laughs> I haven't heard liar, liar. Yeah I haven't heard this in years I went I watched a video and it's like yeah it's Henry Rollins in a Scipia tone and then at this <laughs> point He like turns red and starts jumping around like an angry red monkey. I love, I love this. I love everything about that. I think it really shaped me a lot, too.
3: I I, I think the song was popular because people weren't used to hearing this level of psychoanalysis and this much talk about feelings from really intense red, muscular yelling dudes. Uh, And I also think it, 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 it probably resonates because it sounds like the narrator is a narcissist. Which uh, is a personality type that anyone who moves to LA is going to encounter frequently. There's plenty of those folks out there for uh, for Henry to psychoanalyze.
4: Oh, and then the what? And then the soft loud. Oh yeah, oh there, like...
3: yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, I, 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 maybe the, maybe the label picked this as the single because it has that soft verse, loud chorus dynamic that Nirvana kind of unintentionally made into sort of a formula for. You know, like which alt rock songs got played more on MTV? It was yeah. More dramatic. I'm gonna, I'm gonna blow your minds here for a second. I, I Please do. I, I think I know why this was picked
2: as a single and why talk alternative was so popular in the '90s. It's because these, this song and all these songs are very much made to be music videos. Ah, because. Henry Henry Rollins is addressing the camera the entire time. He's addressing the audience the mm-hmm. entire time. He's not just playing a song. He's not just singing mm-hmm. a song to a, a, a crowd or whatever. He's actually he's addressing the camera. When, when you're when you're talking, all these videos I guarantee they all have... the ones that do have videos they're they're, talk, they're talking to the
4: camera. I guarantee. You. The audience. It's this very is, much made for this music is the kids. network that gave us the the Dennis Leary bumpers, you know. They love the the, the angry guy ranting yeah. in front yeah. of the, you know first person ranting.
3: See when you said that I my guess was that you were gonna say that some of these singers were just not traditional singers and they weren't like real technical chops heavy vocalists and sometimes it was easier to just talk than sing. Well that's certainly the case with Rollins.
1: I yeah. mean, he was not a singer. I mean he's good at screaming. But but this is
2: made for his personality of like, yeah put the camera on me yeah and I'll talk to the audience. Watch the veins in my neck yeah. start to. I saw Henry Rollins spoken word
1: concert in college. Yeah, I did too. Yeah, probably yeah. the same tour. Yeah, probably very entertaining. You talked for
4: three hours straight.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was, <laughs> it was, it was great. I yeah it was awesome. I I brought my uh, get in the van book and he signed it for me and I still have the
2: ticket Does See have stuff. Book. Yeah. He a podcast? Yeah, he does. He has a radio show on uh, on uh, KCRW. Yeah, it's big team. time. Big time, yeah. Huh. Ooh,
0: yeah,
1: yeah. Number seven. All right, this one uh, is another one that is not a favorite of mine, but boy does it fit the genre. Doesn't get much more alternative than Pearl Jam, and Eddie Vedder does his best to put you to sleep with his talking. Jesus Christ, call this one Valium Wrapped in a Flannel. This is I'm Open, and it's uh, it's one off the uh, non-favorite Pearl Jam album, No Code.
2: That's my favorite. Yep, so of course it is
4: You your favorite stare It's my favorite
2: I, 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 I didn't know that When that became My favorite Pearl Jam album <laughs> no, Yeah you
4: did You had a feeling You might have heard Somebody in the line somewhere Go Ugh, No code sucks And it got in there So it, when you heard it, was because, it was because, You felt challenged
2: It was because I didn't care about Pearl Jam anymore mm-hmm. And I put it on And this Washed over me When I listened to it And the rest The rest of the album Is really good I think Personally But uh, but I really like this album I wasn't. It, it didn't have expectations
1: I see the other ones, ones. No Well, I think most people did at this point. And most critics will tell you that it's the sound of a band maturing, but I swear to God that he must have gone to India, sort of discovered Eastern religion, and came back half sad.
3: Yeah, see, this is the album where most listeners will tell you that they stop paying close attention to Pearl Jam.
4: Yeah, it was, it was the last Pearl Jam album that I bought, um, and I, I thought that this no, it was song... the last one I bought too. Yeah,
2: but that did, that <laughs> didn't make me. But it wasn't because of the sound I
4: album. think songs like this had a lot to do with the fact that it was the last Pearl Jam album I ever bought. Because like, dudes. I fell in love with you because you were tight then this album got more and more weirdly poetic poetry drony tracks and each album got more like and then this one's just a mess you know Cameron Crowe has a documentary called Pearl Jam 20 yeah um cause it, it was released on the 20th anniversary But it should have been called Pearl Jam 2 because the story of their first two years was the only interesting thing in that documentary. That said, I've never seen them live, and I need to before Eddie Vedder dies of his secret fentanyl addiction.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Maybe I'm not hip enough to get this one, but it it really feels like when you watch a show on HBO like Vinyl, waiting for stuff to get good because it really <laughs> should be good. And after a few songs or episodes, you just can't admit that you're wasting your time. Unlike Vinyl, this may get better after repeat ingestions.
4: Rolling Stone gave it four stars. But if you think about what was four star or what was what was mainstream in 1996 when this was released. I think relatively this is a four star album.
3: I I bet I can. I bet I can read the review just uh, off the top of my head without ever having read the actual review. I bet it was a cogent statement for our modern times by guys we've heard of and may or may not be friends with. You you also picked the second to last song that wasn't made to like be released
2: as a single. It was just supposed to. Yeah, I mean, it fits the genre. It does fit the genre. That was that was my. I mean, he's doing spoken word. I don't. My goal.
3: yeah, but he does spoken word on purpose because Pearl Jam was maybe the most desperate band in the world to shrink the size of its audience. Like I've never, I've never seen a band that wanted less of an audience than Pearl Jam. Uh, our punk ideals. We don't want to be popular. We don't know how that reflects on the quality of
1: our music. That does sound like Eddie Vedder. I mean, yeah. not the words, but the way you you imitate. Well, them. They made, <laughs> yeah,
2: it's, it's a dead-on impression. They Let's, made a huge mistake uh, trying to fight Ticketmaster. People love. Yeah.
4: They should
2: have They should have just stuck with them, no. and they would, have had, they would have sold millions you know,
1: of records. I think my problem with Pearl Jam is that I was never a fan of Pearl Jam. And actually, I really like Eddie Vedder's solo stuff that he was doing for... Um, the you Cubs? Don't like, you don't like Luken on,
2: on this album? I, would have thought, I, like, would I like, like a lot Luke of songs
4: in. on this album. I do, I do. I will admit, I like Hail Hail. That's a great song. The day I bought
1: Pearl Jam 10, I got in my first car accident. Um i had a roommate in college that just always wanted to listen to pearl jam kind of drove it into my head uh but it wasn't uh, into the wild that was what it was you should be able to remember that fucking movie this this is their fourth um,
4: album right
3: yeah, yeah this, this was after versus no fifth album fifth album
4: fatology versus what? Oh, oh, and oh yeah. 10 no cost, versus yeah.
3: Vitalogy, no, code. Yeah. And so, Then yield. I didn't buy yield.
2: And Versus and Vitalogy, I wasn't a big fan of. This is actually that. That's why I
3: liked this one so much because I was like, I really liked this yeah. one. I mean, Versus and Vitalogy both had good songs on them, but it was like they were trying to conform to their punk ideals and make like <laughs> more spontaneous rock and roll, and which is unfortunate because their greatest talent was being an arena rock band. Yes, which is not the strength of this song. Anyway, sorry, Dave.
1: And I, that's, that's all I, I felt like just... I needed
2: to defend No Code. <laughs> <laughs>
1: no, and I'm, I'm glad you did because a lot of people do, and that's why I started with. Maybe I maybe I just don't get it because I'm I'm
2: open-minded. I've never enough. met you know, anybody. Maybe, I've maybe never, it's me. I've never met anybody that likes No Code. Uh, you remember Charo? Oh, wow! Yeah. Yeah. Charo loves it. You I, know think what?
4: I, I think maybe the, I No think... Code is on my favorite. Uh, uh, yeah.
2: <laughs> I think that's why me and Charo got along.
1: Six. Alright. Just before I finished this episode, I realized that two of my songs didn't fit the genre. (laughs) I was thinking with my song boner instead of my brain boner. Ah, that'll get you. And I ended up blowing up the list and redoing it just before we went to air. The good news the other guys didn't seem to notice. The gooder news? I got to put Pavement on here! Yeah, This is their song Conduit for sale off their first album, Slanted and Enchanted, which is a pretty damn good album. It's
3: a landmark of 90s indie
1: rock, as a matter of Um, fact. Pavement is from Stockton, California, named after the famous United States Navy Commodore Robert F. Stockton, known for his capture of California in the Mexican-American War, but also infamous for the USS Princeton disaster of 1844. Oh, do tell! I, I will you're speaking,
2: Oh you're describing the name of Stockton. Stockton yeah. Oh, oh, I'm you're you're sp-
4: you're speaking Steve's language here yeah, with this long irrelevant yeah. paragraph. I want to hear this story. I don't I don't know what the this, fuck you guys have a problem
3: I want to hear a story. Well, let me tell yeah, you. Tell the story. Tell the story.
1: Basically, Steve President Tyler took a group of people on a demonstration cruise down the Potomac. Stockton was showing off and fired a cannon aboard the large ship to signify sailing past Mount Vernon, which was George Washington's home. George was there, but it didn't matter because he'd been dead for 45 years. <laughs> so Stockton fired this canyon, and when it failed, it sprayed hot lead and shrapnel across the spectators. It killed the U.S. Secretary of State, the ship's oh. captain, two lawyers, and President Tyler's valet, Oops. who was actually a slave. Twenty others—that's that valet was a nice way of saying slave back then. Twenty others were injured, including Stockton, who came out of the hospital with a face like Edward James. Almost, President Tyler was below deck and was not injured. And this is a cautionary detail to anyone that likes to show off with dangerous things like fire or cannons. Remember. It's always awesome, and, um, that,
2: and that and 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 that's why the city of Stockton took their name is because he killed a bunch of people.
1: No, uh, he uh, helped acquire California during the Mexican-American. Movement.
4: Oh, that makes more sense. He yeah. conquered this for America. Yeah, I gotta. Uh, if I ever get asked to be on Drunk History again, I gotta pitch Derek this story. Yeah, this is great. There's a new season coming out. Are you on the new season? I am. Oh, good.
1: Uh Pavement never signed to a major label and probably missed the big time because of it. They had a minor hit with 1994's Cut Your Hair but it never charted, although it was used in a very Brady sequel. Even though the mainstream success eluded them, they were an incredible band. They were critical darlings, and Steve's favorite c- critic, Stephen Thomas Earlywine, even called them the best band of the 90s.
4: You know, Stephen Thomas Earlywine gave Hollywood Steve a job once, so take that opinion with a grain of salt. Yeah, Burn
3: in he, your face! I am a liar! He didn't call me the best band of the 90s.
4: Yeah, he gave you a job, though. He's like, oh, here's yeah. what. Here's. My hand, opinion is that hand you should job. be hired. <laughs> I am a liar! I'll eat your soul! <laughs>
3: I, la- I like you're doing uh, Henry Rollins kind of like a uh, Macho Man Randy Savage. <laughs> oh, yeah.
4: yeah. <laughs> Welcome to my spoken word tour. I'm going to talk for three hours. That would have been, I would have, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I would oh, have gone to Macho see Man that. Oh,
1: my God. Macho Man and I shared a birthday. Oh, yeah? Which yeah. one? Uh, well, he doesn't have them anymore. But I had drinks with him one night. He was double fisting Coors Lights, and I found out we had the same birthday.
4: Funny story. Miss Elizabeth wasn't just my wife in the ring. She was my wife in real life. And why he loved each other with the deepest of our hearts and souls. Now get me another Coors Light. Brody Coors Light. I got a tale to tell about them. Uh, my grandfather's little cabin in the meadow. Oh, yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but your Macho Man's pretty spot on. <laughs> it's a well-developed
4: impression. Huh? Oh. Mm. Ring! <laughs> Hello? Macho Man, it's Quincy. What's going on, oh, man? Oh, God. Hey, Quincy Jones. I'm thinking about making a wrestle rock song, man. And it's can be gonna be I sh- can, too. It's, it's going to be better. a shoot song. All right, man. We'll give Michael some bellow to play guitar. All right, sounds good, Quincy. I'll see you later, man. Thank you. Scene. <laughs> hey, Rashida, make sure that number's blocked. <laughs> Never answer that call again, Rashida. You called him? <laughs> <laughs> Just do what you're told, Rashida.
0: <laughs>
2: ah,
1: oh, all right. Uh, well, these guys were around from 1989 to 1999. They released five albums, and they're all great albums. Do yourself a favor and go and pick up some pavement.
3: Yeah, they're great, yeah, they're really, really great. Um, they were kind of they were kind of the point where American indie rock diverged from alternative rock or at least uh, the type of alternative that was going mainstream. Uh, and my theory is it's mostly because they were a bunch of dudes that had zero interest in putting much testosterone in their music, which was more and more appealing to the weird kids who were uncomfortable with watching all the bros get into alternative shows and, and coming there to mock and stuff. I remember, I remember I saw them the year they were on uh, Lollapalooza,
4: and uh, Hole was on that tour also. And uh, Courtney Love made fun of their music for not having any balls. And then she went and had sex with Evan Dando of the Lemonheads. That's a hot rumor I heard. Oh, yeah, she also banged to- the uh, drummer from No Effects. <laughs> oh, yeah? But that was because they both did heroin. <laughs> yeah. She used to Hat gas. Yeah, <laughs> Hat Gasset with be risen there. Um, my favorite pavement song They have a great song called The Unseen Power of Picket Fences Which is a really, really weird tribute to R.E.M. It's great Take a listen if right, you've my never My favorite
2: of. is Two States Which I suggested for this But that's more Talk.
1: Yeah No, I looked into that one Ended up with this one uh, Thanks to no. Dave James for uh, suggesting this one with the fast snaps.
4: Yeah, it was really fast.
1: Like 16th notes, bro. I uh, maybe even thirty seconds. you had like a little one-eanda kind of thing going there.
4: 16th.
3: one and is 16th notes.
1: What's well, 32nd or 64th?
3: Uh we never we 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 those I, was don't in, exist, I was in Dave. high school band. We didn't count those. We couldn't play those. Those mm-hmm. don't exist. They weren't good enough.
4: Kind of like a Yeah.
3: Well, I, I, I played snare drums, so maybe oh, that's why. Oh, good I, for you. Wow. Yeah.
4: What a guy. Yeah. Did that blow your mind again?
3: <laughs> <laughs> hey, guess what we're listening to, guys. This is, uh... This uh, Lilith Fair. From a, from a crucial sixth season episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, in which Buffy's librarian mentor, Giles, decides to return to England so that a newly adult Buffy can learn to stand on her own. This is Michelle Branch, with her number 21 hit from 2002, Goodbye to You. This song closes the episode. It starts with a nightclub performance by Michelle, which turns into a sad montage of characters' relationships changing permanently. She also later performed this in an episode of Charmed, because you gotta cover all your TV witchcraft bases. (laughs) and it was also later used in another sad ending montage in the series finale of the hills which first introduced the world to yacht rock dj extraordinaire brody jenner i hear he's
4: handsome and rich i've heard the and same terrible thing. at yacht rock i don't know about that no he mediocre I, I really gotta sit you down and explain what the brody index is all about for those of you who don't listen to our yacht and yacht episodes that's a reference Yow. to that
2: hmm? you should sit down and explain what Yarak is first oh, yeah. and,
1: then, <laughs> and then go to the
2: Nah, it's like that Brandy song, right? Yeah,
1: okay
3: So Michelle Branch recorded a couple albums From Madonna's Maverick label Which marketed her as more of a singer-songwriter Than a teen pop idol uh, She was 17 <laughs> When the first of those albums The Spirit Room was released That's the one this was on Uh, The version the Buffy show is actually re-recorded. It's a nicer, slower build that maximizes the dramatic impact of the characters' relationships breaking apart. Michelle wrote or co-wrote every song on that record, making her the new Millennium's really, really, really vaguely alternative slash emo pop answer to the multi-talented Debbie Gibson.
4: You know, she might have been, Michelle Branch might have been the Kate Bush of the new millennium in the throes of the death of rock and roll, except all her songs are indistinguishable from Nickelback. Except that there's a teenage girl singing them. It's the only difference. Put Chad Kroger on this song, it would be a Nickelback number 10 hit.
3: Oh. I want to talk about Buffy the Vampire Slayer and how it's one of my all-time favorite TV shows. It's like if the X-Files had bothered to plan out where the fuck it was going and what the hell all the mythology was supposed to mean. And over time, it builds up these richly detailed character histories that rival the ones on the Venture Brothers. And they maintain continuity, even going all the way back to the first season before the show had even settled into its style or knew what it wanted to be yet which means that you still have to watch those much rougher episodes because the characters still make references
4: to them even five seasons later I, I tried to get into Buffy once and I watched a season or two and then I just sort of fell off of it. It was after it's run, a few years after it's run, but I'm, I'm always excited that there's fans like you that are, are really geeked about it and that there's so many episodes that I can sit down and watch someday oh, it's so of something It's supposed to be so great. Yeah, the first, the first five on
3: uh, the original network are all great except for the first one, then they switch networks, and season six is kind of the dark one, mm. and then season seven is like, oh, we know this is the last one, and like half of it is kind of... But then they like they knew how they wanted it to end, and they actually build up to that. So, you know, it's 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 worth it's worthwhile most of it. Um, Buffy was Joss Joss Whedon, yeah.
1: yeah fuck that guy.
2: All right. All
3: right. Uh, most he of all, he took his parking space. Oh, it's right. oh yeah. <laughs> I thought, well, you're mad he cheated on his wife. I, <laughs>
1: well, no, that's shitty too, but that shouldn't have anything to do with my parking space right outside of my office. No, you're right. You're right. Now you're the, right. the studio gave it to him, and I gotta I gotta walk four spaces over like a schmuck.
3: <laughs> <laughs> my condolences on your loss of status. Oh. So this is my the guys. This is my last soundtrack song of 2017. And I want to use this as an opportunity to say goodbye to a garbage-ass, shit-vomit, donkey-jizz, septic tank of a year. Fuck you, 2017. Kiss my hernia mesh. Unless 2018 turns out even worse, in which case I'll feel nostalgic for when things were only this bad and my anxiety wasn't so debilitating that it sucked out 100% of my energy.
4: Hey, remember 2016? Oh, too many celebrities are dying off. What a terrible year. Listen... I'd kill for Bruce Willis or somebody cool right now to die. If him in 2018 would Bruce be Bruce awesome. Willis or somebody cool. Somebody else cool. <laughs> I think Bruce Willis is cool. If he died out in 2016, we'd be sad. Now we don't care.
3: No. Yeah. Remember that Seagram's yeah. Golden Wine Cooler commercial? It oh, was cool. Oh my gosh, cool. so Fuck.
4: cool. He sold people beer that, that sweet, beer. A... sweet beer. beer. <laughs> sweet beer. And played the harmonica. <clears throat>
1: Five. Yeah, this one was a blast from the past, and uh, thanks again to my pal Dave for reminding me of it and how much I love this song. Your uh, buddy? Yeah. No,
2: no, no, no. He's expanded.
1: Yeah, oh, I got. He talked about got, his, his okay. friend Pal's earlier. Friends. This is got, This is pal. Wait do we get to my chums? <laughs>
2: He's leaving. But no buddies are no more.
1: Yeah, my chim chums. Cool. <laughs> uh, this is the Ice of Boston by the Dismemberment Plan, and is some top-notch talk alternative. I always thought this was the story of a guy that followed a girl to Boston from Washington and it didn't work out. Instead of being with her, he's alone and drunk on New Year's Eve. If you listen closely, there's a little nod to just outside of Boston native Jonathan Richmond in the lyrics. He wakes up with the radio on. It's subtle, but it's I there. I don't get it. Uh, Jonathan Richman is a band totally called the Modern yeah. Lovers. Yeah, and
2: radio on. Yeah, Roadrunner.
1: Uh, The Decemberment Plan was formed in uh, D.C. back in 93. They named themselves after a throwaway line that the character of Ned Ryerson says in Groundhog Day. Fun fact, first time I saw the movie, I was on a boat. I, however, did not get the name of the band I was on from a Bill Murray movie. We got the name from a Simpsons episode, and we were called Plow King. Their origin story is bad. Mine is downright cringeworthy.
4: I I I bet your music was, too. Boom. (laughs) <laughs> in your face! Are you a liar? Yeah. I'll make fun of your high school band. Maybe
1: maybe I'll do the bands of Dave Lyons episode. <laughs> <laughs> I have enough uh, I have enough side projects to fill out ten. It'll be weird though. I'll, I'll do an episode where you guys won't be able
4: to make fun of me. Do you have any original music, Hunter? I have original music for my teen years. Know. Yeah, so do I. No. Maybe maybe we give Hunter our original music and he has to critique it. To a that might be a good episode. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to do that. Okay.
3: <laughs> I want
4: I want to know if there's
3: like if there's enough bands out there to make a genre out of uh they like they took their name from comedy references but their music isn't funny at all like number one would be fallout boy
4: what's that reference
3: it's the simpsons That's episode right. where it's a radioactive man sidekick fallout oh, boy you didn't
4: know that? no because fallout boy when it's barred it's one word and so they separate fallen out I never put it together I never put Fallout Boy I never It's just the name of a band I never thought of Nuclear Fallout And therefore I never made the connection You, you thought it was just like These They, they broke up with a girl Yeah they yeah. had Falling out yeah. we with with yeah. falling
3: out With all their
1: girlfriends yeah. emo, emo, band emo, emo band emo I'm yeah. not friends With this guy anymore uh, There was a yeah. punk band Called Texas is the Reason That got their name From the Misfits song But uh, That's not
2: funny That's not, that's not a, a comedy not, not very funny It's <laughs> not a comedy a song thing.
1: about Kennedy dying There's Is that Bullet? Yeah. Masturbating, this eh? This That's of, funny. This, yeah.
4: this song kind of reminds me of uh, the Weird Al song or Heavy Round's Liar with all the unmotivated yelling. I like it. It kind of gets intense for no yeah. reason. Yeah. The uh,
1: Dismemberment Plan has uh, your typical indie band story, a couple of indie records. They get signed to a major, in this case, Interscope. Then they go uh, open for Pearl Jam and co-headline with Death Cab for Cutie. Then they decide to break up. They got back together in 2011 and again in 2012 for some reunion tours. Even released some new material in 2013, but nothing
3: seemed to stick. You know, that old story. Tale as, old as time. Mm. Dave, I have a question. Were these guys considered emo like in the original sense of the term emo?
1: Maybe I mean that was a term I always kind of ducked and really didn't uh, didn't really pay attention to it until I heard it describing bands like Sunny Day Real Estate or Promise Ring. Okay, that's when I started connecting it with bands. Prior to that, it held no. I don't think it was even really used.
3: Yeah, because it seemed like, like like a lot of the bands that got tagged emo, like first generation, maybe weren't really thought of as that. Well, like Rites of Spring, Rites of Spring,
1: on. Jawbreaker, that the term emo, I don't think existed then. If it did, I wasn't aware of it.
3: Okay, yeah like, yeah, like the first wave of black metal, for example, nobody called it black metal then until like after the fact. Yeah. When something else came out that people called black metal. Til, til, oh, here's all the bands that we yeah. like. And then white guy Started doing it, and they had to separate it. Yeah,
2: I thought black metal was because Venom had a song called Black Metal.
3: Yeah, but Uh, nobody called it nobody called the genre black metal then. uh, It wasn't until like Mayhem and Emperor came, like all those bands in Norway started killing each other.
4: (laughs) What a genre! Yeah, I I I thought I was listening to the guy's
3: voice. Uh, I thought if it was uh, more blatantly obnoxious than it actually is, then the self-consciousness in his delivery would kind of sound like Dave Mustaine in the uh, Sweating Bullets, that Megadeth song. Hello,
4: me. It's, it's me again. again. Nice
3: talking to myself. Dave, do you think Sweating Bullets is emo? I do not.
1: N- number f- four. This was probably the single biggest song uh, in my high school, my sophomore year. So to speak. Everybody was putting this on (laughs) mixtapes and passing it around. This is King Missile with Detachable Penis, a song in which a man tells a story of waking up without a penis after partying all night. He then sets forth on a quest to find it, and spoiler alert, he
3: does. In my day, we passed around dubs of two live crew tapes. What is this? None of, what this, is, what none is of this, this ironic penis coming off
4: stuff. It was just pussy and fucking and titties and fucking pussies. And it was straightforward. What men like, really like to do.
1: We passed around those tapes, too, but that was in junior high.
3: All this grammatical correctness is ruining the... Hey, he said dick, not penis. you all the danger
1: out of it. As a song, this one never really did it for me. Got a lot of these on the list today. Sure, it was funny, and as a sophomore in high school, it was a great reason to talk to girls about music and be able to hear them casually use the word penis. It was fun to listen to people debate whether it was about a dildo or a man's innate fear of castration, things that sophomores talk about when they think they're smart. But as, long, but as a song, I was uh, in the right grade to be hearing it. What I mean is it's sophomoric. After Give uh, me a song with lyrics or a title that we twisted into uh, something about window. anal sex. Now that's something to talk about. Yeah, that's where you graduate so one level day from sophomore
3: to juvenile. As I w- uh, 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 you Saint calling Mark's me a Jew? Oh, no, it's like a junior. Bleh. Oh. Oh, I get it. my
0: penis lying on a
1: uh, John uh, King Missile started with John S. Hall being uh, began reading poetry in an open mic night in New York City's East Village. He had the brilliant idea that every open mic poet should have had that sitting through twenty minutes of an open mic poet was really fucking boring. <laughs> Amazingly, he was the first one to come to this conclusion and gathered up some musical accompaniment, and this was the genesis of King Missile. After several lineup changes in 1990, they became a stable band. One may remember the song Jesus Was Way Cool. That was an early single that helped them get signed to Atlantic Records. The first album was called Mystical Shit. It got a good amount of play on college radio. Their follow-up was Happy Hour, which had this song on it.
4: They actually had an album in between those two, so it sounds like to Dave, it's not just their dick that's detachable, but they also have a detachable dick There was another one in there? Yeah.
1: Uh, I looked it up, and I I probably just
4: skipped it. I might be wrong, too. But I like my jokes, so I didn't look too close. Good joke.
3: I remember reading a story that this song came just from a joke that John S. Hall made at a show about how their next single was going to be called Detachable Penis, and then he thought about it for a few months, and he was like, well, maybe he should actually write that song, Uh, and it worked because the cultural environment was right for a song about dicks that didn't actually contain any swear words, so you could technically play it on the radio, and all the morning zoo guys could feel like they were getting away with something. It's funny that this is the song that put them on the map and made them a marketable band.
1: Uh, They started playing larger shows, but the crowds weren't uh, very much fun. You get 3,000 people that want to hear Detachable Penis and to subject them to open mic caliber poetry with a backing band, you're going to have more misses than hits. They started playing this song earlier in their set uh, on purpose, uh, so the people that wanted to hear it could and then leave. And their plan worked, because people started leaving after this song. (laughs)
3: This happens all the time. It's
4: detached. No, La Tour Eiffel, c'est génial. Oh, no, Marathon, tu déconnes, c'est complètement surfeu. Number That was racist. That was a racist accent.
1: Hmm. This was a big album for me in 1991. This is uh, Primus with Tommy the Cat off their Sailing the Seas of Cheese album. Uh, there's a pretty good review of the album in all music dot com by some pervert named steve but anyone that heard this when it came out had the same reaction steve who our minds were blown when we heard how les claypool could play the bass the pervert that i mentioned before said oh is it me jesus christ
3: steve <laughs> read your line <laughs> Sailing the Seas of Cheese completely redefined the possibilities of the electric bass in rock music for those who'd never heard the group before. And he was right.
4: <laughs> for those who never... This changed electric bass forever, so long as you had never heard Primus before, in which case you... Were, I was hedging <laughs> my bets in case there was
3: somebody else I didn't know about at the time. It didn't change it. I heard
1: Frizzle Fry. Uh, And Steve was right. The song became so popular for the band, they started introducing the songs in their concerts as, this next song isn't Tommy the Cat. Primus was known for their sense of humor, as well as their unbelievable musical prowess. An example of this was the band's slogan, Primus Sucks. I went to see Primus at a young age, and I heard someone yell it from the pit in between songs. I was confused. Why would uh, all these Primus fans yell Primus sucks? The band stopped what they were doing, Les Claypool walked up to the mic and said, yes, we're Primus, and we suck. He then went into a jaw-dropping bass solo and started into the next song. I was able to put together, with context clues, that this was a common occurrence for the band.
4: Well, jazz yeah, fusion on stage. You displayed sharp analytical skills at such a young age. I see now why your mother loves you so much. It's the only reason.
3: <laughs> yeah, Les Claypool is one of those musicians who would be way more influential if anybody else on the planet could do what he does, which they can't, so really nobody else can sound like this. I, I remember, I remember hearing these guys on Headbangers Ball for the first time. They were one of just a handful of bands on that show that really made me set up and go, What the fuck is
4: that? Yeah, yeah, they really defy classification. I heard a lot of Primus. I didn't ever like Primus, but my brother loved them, I and love so them. the CD was in heavy rotation in my house. So, so. Um, yeah. Um, you see, to me, like Weird Al was weird, and regular. I, but regular rock guys being weirdos Like Primus, I didn't get it I wanted my rock Rocky And my weird music weird Cause you know guys I like eating pussy And I like mac and cheese But I don't want to be eating my mac and cheese Out of no pussy if you know what I mean
1: Absolutely Rashida's listening Many of Primus's <laughs> songs have talking type verses Less seem to do the southern character when he sings, and uh, frequently talks. Sings. Check him out on the vocals of "Jesus Built My Hot Dave, Rod." Dave, those are
3: those are by Gibby Haynes of the Butthole Surfers. Well, Wiki, uh, Wikipedia lied to me. Uh, I believe that is unless unless there's some weird thing I don't know about, but no, Gibby Haynes give, is the I think one. They, I think they both are jumping in on there. Oh, okay. Uh, This one, however,
1: stood out to me because it's most of the talking in the character of Tommy the Cat, and it is not voiced by anyone in the band. The voice is the one and only Tom Waits, who has plenty of experience of his own in the area of talk singing. Pro tip if you're ever driving through the desert on the way to Joshua Tree, U2 is not the appropriate soundtrack. It's Tom Waits.
3: I got a fun fact about a member of Primus who is not Les Claypool, uh, the guitarist, Larry Lalonde, or Lair for short. uh, He played on arguably the first death metal album ever released, which was Seven Churches by The Possessed. There you go. Fun fact. Primus.
1: Yeah, I want to say something right off the top here. Thanks, Hunter, for reminding me of this song.
4: Can I say something second off the top? Uh-huh. I think "Not a Surf" stands for "No Surf." I think. I'm not sure. That's right, JD. This is "No Surf" with Popular. This I, is also
1: one
2: of those songs that is was made to be a music video. Yeah, the
1: yeah. This, the, I think, I talk about it later, but you get a real strong sense of uh, "Smells Like Teen Spirit" when you watch this video with the cheerleaders. Uh, I have to admit, I never really dug into the catalog beyond the song, but if it's anything like this, I'm in. Uh, The song's basically sarcastic advice given to high school kids, and I'm going to read some of that advice to you now. Being attractive is the most important thing that there is. If you want to catch the biggest fish in your pond, you have to be as attractive as possible. Make sure to keep your hair spotless and clean, wash it at least every two weeks, and on and on. Here's the kicker. These lyrics all came from a real book that came out in the 60s, Penny's Guide to Teenage Charm and Popularity. Penny was a character from the radio, then-TV show Sky King. I guess it was pretty popular because it afforded Gloria Winters, the actress that played Penny, to publish a book which now sits at the Library of Congress with such classics as Art of the Deal by Donald Trump and Out of the Blue by Oral Hershiser.
4: I love the Don't you dare lump Oral in with Donald. Trump. Don't you dare. He was a great pitcher who changed the game. He was a bulldog. He won.
3: He almost single-handedly won the Dodgers their last World Series. Yeah, in 1988. 1989.
4: One, two, three strikes, you're out. That's what every umpire said when a batter came up against Oral Hirschheiser, Did you Dave. ever read his autobiography, Out of the Blue? I don't no, need,
2: listen, need listen, to. I followed his life listen, very closely. Listen, it goes in fair, a con man wrote a book. And he conned Congress into putting it into the library, and then he conned the American public into becoming president. That's that's pretty
4: amazing. Yeah, and Oral Herzheiser is an honest angel. He should not be putting the same sentence as Donald Trump. There's a thing.
1: there's a whole couple paragraphs in there about how he gets ready for the game. Talks about how he puts on his jock
2: strap. Listen. J.D., Oral well, Hershiser spent his career trying to fool batters. Oh. <laughs> so, if
4: you're right, okay. watch your mouth, right? Okay, yeah, yeah, he was the con man of the ball. Yeah. Yeah. He'll appreciate your oh, it's a it's a slider? Nope, it's dropping. It's a fastball? Nope, it's dropping. That's a changeup. Yep. Drops off a shelf.
2: Yep. Yeah. Like rolling off a table.
4: Just like a Donald Trump deal. Mm-hmm. Just like not paying
2: uh, your workers yeah. after they're done with the job. Yeah. It's <laughs> the same thing. hmm uh, you were fine with that Thank you, Hunter yeah, I welcome. appreciate that Don't say uh, I always make fun of you What? No,
1: don't don't you, say, know. you don't always make fun of me I'm defending you uh, But honestly, to go back a little bit When you said I needed to be sat down and talked about yacht Rock, that was a really funny joke And I liked that a lot you will uh, I love the uh, build and the verses here It kind of reminds me of Sam Kinison
3: See, I'm getting, when I listen to this guy, I'm getting kind of a blend of Weezer's Undone the Sweater song, but with a much smaller, less weight-lifty guy trying to do an angsty Henry Rollins-type rant. Hmm. I, also, I, I was listening to the words. I don't know why he, he thinks that teacher's pets are popular kids. Like, nobody likes nobody likes the kid who always knows the answer. It's well, because in the 60s they were yeah. trying to... Oh, in the 60s, there's, okay. There's, there's different kinds of
1: teacher's pets. There's the kind of teacher's pet that I assume... <laughs> You may have been because you knew the answers. There's the hamsters. Right, but I learned to shut up about them
3: because I, nobody no, liked I it. I don't
1: believe that for a second.
3: And, no, in junior um, high, I learned to shut up when I knew the answer. No. So we're letting it out now. No, in, in junior high, I'd say. It was, it was it. pretty quick. Got it. Uh, but in the he 60s. He kept his vocalizations to paragraphs. I see. <laughs> Just I learnt, became a writer I learned to never talk about what I was interested in So I had to write about it or perform it instead so That's what I
2: just said Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah but it took, him, it took him longer to say it um,
1: No one gave you the option of uh, reading your paragraphs Which we can now do today uh, Not a surf is a New York-based band that formed in 1992 That's why there's no surf Yep after a show at the Knitting Factory. <laughs> remember, the, remember the Knitting Factory? Uh, yeah, I remember. Yeah, knitting, yeah I played We, there we, we there. played the Knitting yeah, Factory. We sold it we out. We played it. Yep. <laughs> uh, after a show, they met good old Rico Kasich, who took uh, their demo, and three weeks later called them up. He agreed to produce their album. At the same time, they got signed to Elektra and released the album High Low. Oh, that's why it sounds
4: exactly like Weezer.
1: Yeah. Yeah, same producer. Yep.
2: Yeah.
1: Yep. Which uh, the song was included They released the second album in 1998 And it tanked The record company claimed it was lacking a hit like Popular The label dropped them And their next album re- was released on uh, their
4: own label Not a hit And, it, yeah, <laughs> the and label. it did not did not go well
2: Well, I, I think <laughs> Not a Surf stuck around for pod, a while And actually became a legit, possible. like Make people sure A well-respected band after that Because this, this clearly, they tanked because this was a cheap appeal to high yeah. school, stu- like angsty
1: high school kids, and yeah. Like, and honestly, look, to your point, without the video, this never would
2: have been a popular song. No, absolutely not. And at the time, music was shifting to to like boy bands. Yeah. So they're going this, this 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 faux Nirvana Weezer band is going after a, a group of. A group of uh, a population that didn't give a shit about this music anymore. But they no. became, a, I'm pretty sure they became a pretty decent band.
1: Yeah, bands. I got a, got a line about it coming up. Oh. Um, <laughs> it's, a, it's, a it's a great video. Uh, filmed on location at El Segundo High School. It shares the location with the Asphalt Jungle, War Games, Rock and Roll High School, and Role Models. Also, uh, the sequel to The Ladies Man. It's Rob Schneider.
4: Wait, I'm waiting Wait, for your line. Man, ladies' Man is a, Tom, is a Tim Meadows show. The Tim Meadows movie. What's the one where Rob
1: Schneider has the cucumbers on his eyes? It's
4: a male gigolo. Yeah, yeah it's a sequel to a sequel to. Oh, European gigolo. gigolo.
1: That's the one. Yeah. I- I'm uh, waiting for your line about the things I was saying. Well, it's kind of about it. Uh, I didn't really go into it. Uh, I wrote, as far as I can tell, not a surface, still together, still releasing music, and still touring. Yeah, same thing. Yeah. If you end up seeing them, tell them we said hello. They'll know what it means.
2: Now that one was a little See racist. Only that means number one. Only if like a wacky yeah,
4: like Asian character pops in and yeah. says something wacky. Are you saying just playing a gong is racist to the Chinese but, music? Well, no. If you do the, if yeah, there wasn't, but, but it was dee. a play on it. Well, because there's only he certain... knew
3: what he was doing. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Integrity. What can I'm you say? Glad you, I'm glad you got woke all of a sudden. Yeah, this is my. That's why. That's why
2: I always like to tease Dave during his episodes, because he spends all this time being a, a, a dumb, drunk asshole, and then on his episodes he's like, "It was not." 19- Laura It was 1992. I was just a young boy, and I had gone to my first concert.
4: Wait, Dave. So if you, when you went to Hong Kong, did you like go to a, a concert of the greatest Hong Kong composer, and you did traditional Hong Kong music, and you turned to Michelle and went, "This is racist."
1: <laughs> no, we went and saw a bunch of like twelve-year-old oh, yeah. Chinese girls dancing to the most vulgar rap music
2: I've ever heard, and their parents didn't speak English, and they're sitting there going, "Oh." <laughs> <sighs> uh, all right. It was 1989. Yep. I was a young man. I went to my first punk concert. <laughs> Sorry, that is about. The time I had I just
3: read Laura Mulvey's essay on the objectification <laughs> of the female form in the male gaze, and it very much affected my being. It did just it did. like
2: punk music.
1: You know, I actually really cleaned up a nasty joke I'd written in here. Uh, they said uh, Steve had said something about uh, when people are sweeping the nation, they're a sensation. I was going to say, or Mexican. And I thought that was a really not funny joke. It was a good yeah, it, So that. I changed it it's, to janitors. Yeah, you it got a good
3: laugh. Yeah. Yeah. So you didn't
2: need to tell us that. got a laugh. Other things. I'm just saying. I'm glad you, you were able... You
1: cleaned
3: it up
2: for your own episode. I'm I know. That's what I was I'm glad you were able saying. to
3: work in the racist mm-hmm. angle into the well, episode after all.
1: It came from an Onion article that I read that said Mexicans are sweeping the nation.
4: You're ripping off the 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 onion and being racist. I'm glad you cut it.
2: That's why I cut it. Yeah, all right. It wasn't mine. All right. Now tell us about how much this song meant to you and. It All changed right. your life.
1: What, what? can you say about the Pixies
4: that hasn't been said by every rock critic and fan of good music on the planet? I know Frank Black has an elephant tail for a dong. Kim Deal drinks sand. Their album went. Their first album went wheat in Ethiopia. I can keep going. Nobody's ever said any of this stuff.
3: Wheat. <laughs> you sound like you're reading my fact book. How many copies do you have to sell to be certified wheat in Ethiopia? Five. <laughs>
4: This is the 80s. Yeah. When, like, yeah. there's uh, a seems... lot of really terrible famine going on in the world. Everyone. Yeah, too
2: soon. Right. Remember Africa
4: Dabba? <laughs> We've <laughs> we gone through the whole song and they <laughs> just read one line. Okay. <laughs>
1: This is the earliest song on the countdown, but without this band, I don't think alternative music would exist as we know it. The Pixies are one of those bands that, well, not a lot of people got into them, the ones that did started their own bands. Without the Pixies, we wouldn't have Nirvana, Weezer, Radiohead, Pearl Jam, Dinosaur Jr., and Jane's Addiction, at least not in the way that we know them now. The Breeders? Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, that was Kim. <laughs> um, Frank Black, solo albums. Yeah. Uh, Black Francis. David Bowie and you two claim to have been influenced by them. Uh, they're musical powerhouses, and the fact they're not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame shows you just how pointless and stupid the Rock Hall really is. But we
4: sure to get fun episodes out of that it? That was yep, nice. We, we did a nice time. We
3: did, we did a really good job, guys.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: I, I uh,
3: <laughs> Doolittle is one of those really top-to-bottom, absolute oh, perfect
1: fantastic. albums. fantastic. Here's something interesting. These guys are a reverse British evasion. they <laughs> were, While they were, while they were uh, somewhat unknown by the mainstream of the United States, after the first album, they were playing bars in Boston, but in England, they'd received enough press to usurp the headlining band they were touring with, throwing muses. Bossa Nova, their third studio album, number 70 in the U.S., number three in the U.K., total
3: reverse British evasion. You know, we could have done another pun title for the episode, too. We could have done... The British introversion, because they all stayed home, or we could have done the British infection, because it was all all the earworms. But yeah, uh, the British evasion was great. But where do I draw the line in all Good these job, all Hunter. these puns? So song pudding, what I tried to find I tried to find a reverse pudding uh, based on your little paragraph there, would that uh, which solid? would have been which would have been a dessert originating in America but not popular there, only in Britain. But The closest I could come was New York-style cheesecake, which is popular in Britain. They call it a type of pudding, but it's obviously also popular
4: here, so it doesn't quite work. I feel like it has to be something Brits think is gross. Maybe like a deep-fried Twinkie? I think more Americans uh, think that's gross than
1: not. Well, a hot, deep fried shrimp Twinkie yeah. it's delicious um, I'm, I'm not saying I'm one of them I'm just saying a lot of people are going to find that gross oh,
4: maybe, those maybe song Stop hot listening. dogs song hot dogs maybe Hunter your, your stepdad is Scottish does he hate hot dogs they eat haggis hot dogs for dessert <laughs> is brilliant yeah
1: uh, fun facts this was the Pixies' first music video and was the first song they ever recorded with guest musicians. They brought in a couple of cellars and a couple of violiners to round out the sound. Oh.
4: Hey, another fun fact. Joe Santiago's last name means appliance pornography in French. That's another thing the critics have never said about the Pixies. All right. You keep, I, uh, you
1: keep uncovering them, J.D. I, uh, I looked up how to say appliance pornography in French,
4: <laughs> and that is not it. All right. Well, it depends. I'm talking about a <laughs> cabecloaf. You know a
1: Quebecois It's, French. French.
3: it's Quebecois not French. that difference. You, you've been, you've been to Quebec. You've been so to, Quebe, to Quebec. You know firsthand. Yeah,
4: I go to. Them, they have a guy named the La you know, de and he goes around going Santiago, Santiago, and he puts like a dryer on top of a washer and makes it go like this Santiago. I see. <laughs> I thought you were talking about like a fleshlight. No, 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 no. Okay, it's like a, like a, putting a small refrigerator inside a stove and pulling it in and out. Okay, yeah. I I totally looked up the wrong thing.
1: I stand corrected, JD. I apologize. Yeah, like, well,
2: it, oh.
1: now can you do that? Say with a fish bowl moving it in and out of a fridge. Yeah, does that the same thing? Just as long I mean, as it's, it's not as satisfying. It's Is not that, an appliance.
4: As long Is as it had a bubble machine in it making bubbles. Okay, so that's yeah. still a
2: Santiago. Yeah. Yeah, Got but it's it. it's not as it's not as enjoyable. I learned so much from you. Oui. Oh boy. Uh, have you
1: guys ever seen the Pixies? Yes. yes. Yes, I have. I've okay. talked about it. No. Yep. Uh, well worth it. I missed them, seeing them at Coachella about 12 years ago, and I wrote because it's Coachella and I don't want to be
3: there. That was that was where I saw, I saw them I saw yeah. them there and uh, I will never go back to Coachella because I saw them and they were followed by Radiohead. I'm never going to top that, so I'm not going to bother trying. I yeah.
4: was also at Coachella, and that was before it was like, Ugh, Coachella, so Dave's being insincere going, he went, Oh, I didn't. You know, I'm not going to Coachella. That's stupid because it wasn't at the time. You just didn't no, get it invited. At the time. Hunter went, Steve went, I went. You just didn't get invited, bro.
1: My friends came out from Michigan to go, and I had the choice of going with them or not. And I wasn't going to go because I was dead broke and I didn't have the money. And my friends were like, "No, nah, man, we'll pay your way." But I didn't want to drive three hours into the desert and go to a big festival just to see the Pixies. That was the only band I wanted to see there. And I stayed home. And my friends got attacked by a swarm her. of bees. That was before I really knew what Kraftwerk was all I may have also,
2: <laughs> I saw some stuff that you would have wanted to see. Yeah. Shut your mouth.
1: Well, I just went to a festival uh, a couple you months go to ago. to festivals
2: all the time.
1: That's the first one I've been to in years since like since like the early Warp tours, but it was great, and I'm thinking about uh, maybe changing my opinion on it. Don't
2: they have LA festivals all the time that you went to? Oh yeah, yeah.
1: I went to Festival Supreme, but I made, fa- I made fake wristbands and stuck backstage.
2: <laughs> and it worked (laughs) it was great festivals are okay but it was like it's like Lollapalooza Lollapalooza started to
3: suck towards the end of it Coachella's gone the same way yeah um I also saw the Pixies a second time at the Greek Theater a few months after the Coachella I was at that show oh yeah and yeah Kim Deal was still in the band I
1: saw them at the Palladium and they played Doolittle front to back Oh. uh
3: we're gonna play Do Little Yeah. In the front to, to back. back.
1: Oh good. Perfect. <laughs> and they played My favorite the, album. They played both versions of uh, Wave of Mutilation, the oh. album version and the UK subversion.
4: Uh, all right, let's get what well, we didn't make the list quick. What did it make with? Uh, uh, you included Rollins and King Missile. I'm going to nominate
3: another spoken word artist who did a couple of alt rock albums back in the 90s. Her name was Maggie Estep. Remember her. She made it onto Beavis and Butthead with a talk song called Hey Baby, which is about street harassment. Also, the Dead Melkman did a couple things like this, including Stewart, which I once used as an audition piece for a college play that i did not get a big part in okay nomination on the floor do we have a second
2: yes uh 1995's fred bear by uh ted <laughs> nugent
0: uh, he, 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 let,
2: he literally asked fred to, to talk to him and he does if uh, many of
1: these kids would pick up a bow and arrow instead of
2: you go up, there up that wouldn't ridge be any more ghettos you, you go up that ridge and i'll go down in the swamp and we'll get that buck
4: um, I would like to nominate everybody's free-to-wear sunscreen song. That's, it's the opposite of that song, popular. It's very earnest. It's just a dude giving earnest advice to graduates in the class of 99 over this weird, arguably alternative music. But that's... There's not even, not even a uh, singing chorus hook. It's just a huge hit because it was released in the spring of 1999 and the graduates ate that shit up.
2: That's my next show. It's something completely oh, different. Oh,
4: okay, sorry. It's not,
2: not alternative talk. Also. Oh,
4: okay, just talk to talk. No, it's it's
2: something else. I'll talk about it later.
4: All right. Uh, Business. What's the next episode? Oh, next episode. uh, I'll tell you in a minute. Business Bumpers by Handsome Gringos, who have only one song on YouTube right now and are working on a full-length album. Uh, They just set up a Facebook page, the Handsome Gringos, so follow that. And follow band-heavy Pat Forney's on Twitter, at WGDJ. And he's on Facebook as well. His name's Pat Forney's. Uh, by the way, Handsome Gringos' pat side project, his regular band, is called Rough and Ready. And they have plenty of songs on YouTube. So search for Rough and Ready on YouTube and brace yourself for the results. It's probably not going to just be that band. <laughs> uh, <laughs> go to yarrock.com, buy some merch. we got a lot of good merch on there. If you love us, you'll love our merch. And join our Patreon if you want special bonuses. we got bonuses galore. Like, join our Slack channel, it's great. T's next episode. Next up, Yacht Christmas. We'll give you all the Yacht Rock Christmas playlist you need for the holidays. I don't feel like reading credits today. Find this week's
3: Yacht Rock playlist by following J.D. Riznar on Spotify. Go to yachtrock.com for a very useful experience. Go to yachternyacht.com to take a look at the Yatsky scale. Send questions via Twitter at Yacht Rock. Like Yacht Rock on Facebook. Follow Beyond Yacht Rock on Instagram. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Themes by Rob Crow and Mark Rivers. Thanks to producer Matt Brousseau and the entire Feral Audio family. But mostly Matt. Mostly Matt. Check out other Feral Audio podcasts at feralaudio.com.
0: Audio.